Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Okay, everyone. Hey, gang. Phil Tarrant here, co-host, Investing Insights of the Right Property Group with Stephen Waters, Esquire, and Victor Kumar. Gentlemen, how are you going? Well, I'm well now with that introduction. Thank you very much. I oh, know. Esquire. Esquire. Do you know what Esquire means? I would have preferred Sir. Sir. You're on your way to a knighthood, are you? Services to property investment. Let's throw that in the ring. Maybe. <laughs> See how we go. <laughs> Esquire to me means like a portly person. You know? <laughs> a bloke with a lot of gout hanging That's out it. down yep. on his couch and he can't move from drinking too much Grange. <laughs> that would not be me. I know, but this is uh, its not really the way we should be starting a professional podcast and a uh, long-ranging, long-lasting and very broad podcast. We've been doing this now uh, according to my iPad computer machine in front of me. It says 2016 to 2020. We've been out this. It's been a while now. Yeah. And, and therein lies the knighthood for you, services to education of people in property. Have I got your vote? I think so. I'd, I'd like to think, Stephen, that over that period of time that we've helped a lot of people out make more informed investment decisions. That's why we do it. That's true. But let's not forget Vic. Mm. Like, I think he deserves one as well. Well, we being a collective we, as in one, two, three, not just <laughs> you. I know everything's always about you. And poor old Victor here, your business partner in the brain's trusted at least this operation. Correct. Having Correct. to carry you over those many, many years, uh, you know. Sore shoulders. Sore shoulders. Short back. Hence the comment about portly gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we've been at this for four years now and um, that's nearly half a decade. It's nearly half a decade. And here we are, part two, design your decade. Did we, When we entered this relationship, Victor, to start delivering this, did we start thinking about what it's going to be like in a decade's time? We thought about the immediate now, didn't we? Which is probably the wrong thing to do when you're a property investor. That's right. And uh, that's testimony to what most people do in terms of investing, right? Mm. So when we started this podcast, it sort of morphed to where it is now. We've retained the flavor. We've retained the freelance approach to it. But certainly there was no real end goal in terms of, okay, this is where we want it heading because we just went out there giving education to people and it's been taken up well, right? And uh, if you relate that back to investing, most people start without really a real clear, succinct goal in the end. They all have the right fuzzy approach in terms of, okay, we need to provide X for ourselves in that sense. But there isn't that clarity. And often what you find is that when you speak statistically, most people end up selling their investments within the first five years of purchasing them because they haven't started out as they were meant to continue in terms of this is the approach we're taking, this is the outcome we're after, and therefore they're not able to handle hurdles as they come along. And Steve, as as you would recall that as we sit down with clients, often what we find is that in the initial stages, the goals aren't 100% clear, but as the process unfolds it, and during our review process, it becomes a lot more succinct. And the goals will change yeah. over time and as the years go on because everybody's circumstances change, which is why we always have never been a fan of a 40-year plan Mm -hmm. because there's too many assumptions between now and then. So take those bite-sized chunks, which is, once again, all around design a decade, and we did years zero to five in the last podcast, and this is now going to be around five to ten. So if we can perhaps recap as to what zero to five looks like, and it's all focusing around, first of all, getting the finance plan right and getting the ultimate goal right to begin with and looking at you know what your position is in terms of capital in terms of cash flow in terms of risk appetite 
And then from there, what we're doing is getting the foundational properties right. But there are five core principles that we need to look at. And Steve, if you recall, we were looking at it way back when we started in investing because that's something that's honed down over a period of really 20 years of investing, if I can use it, investing insights in terms of how property investing really pans out and what are your moving parts that you really need to look at it from a key fundamental approach. Well, if we just go back a little bit, when we first started, there was none. There was no podcast. There was, there was no. Well, there was no. There was no internet. Well, there was that. back in the war <laughs> <laughs> when I was a boy. But there was nothing. It was really self-taught, and there was a few people that were giving some guidance. Mm-hmm. But we had to suck it up and make the mistakes. Make the mistakes. Yeah. And I think that's really held us in good stead because there's nothing like a bit of scar tissue. And I think we talked about that last podcast. Scar tissue is important. Where you can buy the experience or yeah. buy the mistakes. Mm. Or leverage and that's what I was saying. You know, I've, I've benefited from your years of experience and all the good things that you've done, but also all the bad things that you've done and learning from that. And you've helped crystallise this into these five, five points. And I think, you know, to give some structure to this particular podcast and recapping on on zero to five. Have you got them, Steve? Can yeah, you run so, us that, them? so we're, they're not really points, they're more principles around. Principles, philosophies. Yeah. yeah, and so there's cash flow management, which will then mm-hmm. determine the strategy. The strategy will determine the criteria, and then we need defense. And the big one is how to pay it down, how to retire the debt. And if you want to, you can even think about them as cornerstones yeah. of an overarching portfolio mm. or strategy, if you and will. And is that linear? It's always changing. I wouldn't call it lineal mm. because some of those components will change over time. But look at today. Look at today. Yeah. And well, today's a great example, Mm. as was the GFC, as was last year's election. Then there was an APRA, then there was a Royal Commission. So there's always something that will need to alter just ever so slightly the strategy or some of those principles in a different light so that you can continue doing whatever that may look like Mm -hmm. to you rather than running for the hills, which goes back to your point, I think, in the last podcast is that traditionally, most people will keep a property for five years before they sell mm. or they utilise the and deploy the monies elsewhere. And we're not for one minute suggesting that's what you should be doing, but that's just a data point. That's right. Yeah. And it's really important to flag right now is that it's not about the number of properties that you own. It's about the outcome and it's about how you hold onto these properties without impacting lifestyle so that you're living on two-minute noodles uh, in that sense. So don't get caught up in the number of properties you need to own and where they are. You need to get caught up in what these properties do for you from a lifestyle point of view and income point of view. I'm glad you mentioned from an income point of view because that is the end result. We Mm. want the wealth, which is the growth, which is the equity position, but we also want the cash flow. That's right, yeah. So income gives you the lifestyle, and the equity gives you the wealth position, right? So a lot of people mistake the wealth position as lifestyle because you can't spend the bricks. You can't spend the equity unless you make it liquid. And if you're making it liquid, there's only two ways to make it liquid. One is to sell mm. and the other is to take a loan against it, right? Both of them have got its pros and cons. And certainly I wouldn't say that you want to fund your lifestyle via, you know, taking out a loan. Living equity. off equity. Mm. So it has to boil down to, the income being generated from the property. So what you need to do, the end goal is to have minimal to no debt. And there will be times where you will carry debt into retirement, depending Mm. on how early you've started your portfolio or how late you've started your portfolio. So you will carry some debt into retirement. But the focus needs to be clearly and squarely in getting rid of the debt 
so that you can get the rental income coming directly to you rather than to the bank. That's the holy grail. Most people get it wrong in saying that, you know, I want to have X billion dollars in equity in terms of value of property. You can't spend the value. Mm. So this is part two of Design Your Decade. And I think when we did part one of this last month, we tried to determine or, or have an understanding who actually come up with the concept of designing your decade. I can't remember where we landed on that. Maybe maybe you took ownership of the uh, the phrase or the philosophy. So we did this. Uh, again. It was the exact same conversation. Exact same conversation. This, is, yeah. this is showing his age. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't retain a lot. <laughs> I don't retain a lot. There's a lot of grey matter. I retain the important information and I outsource the keeping of the, the other information to other people who help me out with stuff, right? But um, that's, um, ri- that's written in front of him. That is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you spoke, there was two points part of that philosophy, Steve. One was defence and one was paying down the debt. So we're talking about design your decade it might be three years, it might be five years, it might be 10 years, it might be 20 years. But what we're trying to do is condense the steps, the stages of property investing into a, a term or, mm-hmm. or a principle that most people understand. So zero to five, five to 10. So imagine during the five to 10, 10 being when hopefully you've got a portfolio that's debt-free. Is that? Not no. necessarily. No, Not necessarily. So, so, let's, so let's, let's yeah. break it down then. So from five to 10, how's it different from zero to five? So the And the easy way to picture this, if you will, is, and we've talked about zero to five, so the 10-year mark in a perfect world is where you've actually replicated the income you desire from a gross point of view. So if it was to be $75,000 a year is what you wanted as an unencumbered debt for the future, then year 10 is from a gross point of view. So that's the rent generated. Okay. And then from year 10 onwards, and for however long that takes, and that'll be another podcast, is how we retire the debt. But the 10-year milestone is the first major, major milestone, and that is income replication. Okay, so this is a really important point. So every single year you add up all the rent from all your different properties every single month, annualize it, call it $200,000. So that is your- Gross income amount, which is what you want to retire on. That's what we're talking about. Then how do we make it all ours? Then you go about doing it. So from five or six to 10 then, you're still in the process of building out your portfolio. Correct. So if you look at it from the first one to five years, right, you're putting in your foundational properties, which is, you know, your cash flow properties, your equity harvest properties, your easy to sell down properties and easy to pay down properties, right? So they're basically four types of properties that you're accumulating. Now, some of you may be accumulating two, three a year. Some of you may be accumulating one every three years, right? It comes back to your personal finances and comes back to how much capital you've got to get started, where the market conditions are. And uh, certainly the portfolio is tilted to where the market is or was when you started. So whether it is a a house, whether it is a unit, whether it is in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, wherever it is, right? So that is determined by your financial capability and where the market is sitting at that point in time, particularly finance, right? Because Mm. finance is the key in all of this. By year five, you've accumulated a property or a number of properties, depending on the circumstances, And a couple of key things happen at that point in time, right? So your loans generally start maturing because most banks will give you three or five-year interest-only terms, and a lot of loans will then come to maturity where they're turning into principal and interest. And if you haven't had that major check-in at year five, you're coming off a cliff at that point in time, right? Because when the interest rates go from interest-only to principal and interest, Usually another thing happens where you have the loans turning into standard variable. 
This is not your discounted variable, it's your standard variable. So I'll give you a visual of that. And one of my properties, when it changed from interest only to principal and interest and went to standard variable in today's market, it reverted to 5.02. That's your standard bank variable rate right now, right? So if you haven't paid attention to it, you're going through a major, major cash flow issue at that point in time. So this is where we come in and we are doing constant reviews uh, and the um, review hones down around finance, the operating cost of your portfolio, the next action plan, whether it is to purchase, whether not to purchase, or however it pans out. So you've got that. Then you're looking at, okay, what does the next five years look like? And is it repeat the same, don't buy anything, or you know, change the types of properties we're buying? Because it's not continual. You're not purchasing yep. every year. There'll be areas or periods of consolidation. That mm-hmm. might be in year two, year three, or year seven, whatever it may be. But the continual assessment, as you've just pointed out, across each and every component of a portfolio and even from a micro point of view, each property mm. is essential. Otherwise, you will be caught. And we often talk about it's not buying the property which potentially loses you money if you choose the wrong assets. It's how you control That's it. the property That's it. over the coming years. Yeah. So just like a car, right? You only buy it if you're not servicing it regularly. You have problems with the engine and you void the warranty. You have more expenses, more expensive repairs down the track. Whereas if you service it regularly, then you don't have as many expenses potentially down the track, right? So the same with property. The servicing we need to do over here is looking at what the loan structure is, whether it is still relevant to today's market. Because if you don't pay attention to that, loans change. The need for the type of loan that you've got in the property changes. The interest rates change, the flexibility in terms of the products change. So you need to be having a constant look at that. And then, of course, your life does change, right? Year five is when people start getting, you know, I've done all this hard work. Uh, It's time to upgrade the principal place of residence. So, okay, that means that when we're reviewing the portfolio, we need to factor that in. And it's one of the things that you and I, when we sit down with clients, Steve, is that that's one of the questions we ask is, okay, when's the upgrade happening? Mm. When, yeah. are the, when are the children due? When is the yeah. marriage? When's mm-hmm. the sabbatical? When's yeah. the holiday? Yeah, you know, there are these moments in time where you may not have thought about it when you first started, but now it may be mm. apparent that you want one of those things. So we might need to pivot. Yep. We might need to adapt to a situation, change loans products, as you said, or whatever it may be. But it's, I think it's extremely important if we just come back to the year zero. And once again, that doesn't mean your first property, you might just be starting again mm-hmm. from property four, is that we have a very methodical approach, but we also have strategic patience. That's pretty important, having the patience. Oh, absolutely. And that will be tested continually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I guess one of the things that continually needs to happen is, uh, you mentioned, Steve, defense as one of the key pillars of investing. And uh, what we mean by that is that you need to protect the main moving parts of your investing. So the main moving parts is your ability to earn an income. So you need to ensure that. Your debt retirement in case you're not there, so you need to ensure that. In other words, life insurance. Your other income producer, which is your property itself, you need to ensure the rental coming in. So landlord's insurance. They are really important aspects. And most people, when they go through turmoil and upheaval as it is in today's economy, they tend to scrimp and save on the things that they shouldn't. This is the time to amplify it. At the most critical time mm-hmm. that's used to cut costs and they're potentially the cost you shouldn't yeah, be cutting. Because you, you haven't done all this work to, which is potentially a multi-million dollar business, mm-hmm. 
to actually not look at and protect it and yourself included yep. for the sake of a couple of bucks a day. That's week, right. Yeah, you've got to factor in into your running expense, right? Mm. So, and that, that's one of the things, whilst we can't give insurance advice, one of the check-ins we do is to say that, have you got insurance? Have you got it reviewed? Have you sat down with the financial planner? Have you sat down with your insurance broker? And the approach needs to be that you need to be able to cover your debts mm. and cover your repayments and understand that the driver of all of this with all the heavy lifting already having been done in years one to five, the driver still very much is your ability to earn an income and the property's ability to earn an income. So as you go down this journey, we're saying from a, a cold start to 10 years, should you be resetting your decade every year so it's just a moving beast or do you be, you know, because it's a challenge a lot of people have. It's easy if I start from scratch to 10, you know, life changes, business changes, health changes, whatever else, should you deliberately reset the decade and keep pushing it down the road? That's a really good question. And the short answer is yes, because the big picture scenario is design your decade. But from a individual component, that may change every year. You might zero every year. It might mm. be a new purchase. Mm -hmm. It might be a component of the portfolio, which you need to adapt. And that adaption might be well, I've got to push a time frame out or I need to might I might to bring it in. So yes, the continual assessment is absolutely paramount. Mm. Otherwise you have this moving beast with lots of different moving parts that you're actually you're not intimate with. Yeah. And this is where most people trip up is that they become too rigid in their planning, right? So you do have two decades running in parallel. One is your original 10-year decade where you're saying this is the gross income that we want to get mm. to, right? But then along with that is the adjust a decade because we need to adjust for your ability to borrow money, right? Because just because you put a 10-year plan, it doesn't mean it'll happen automatically. If you can't borrow, guess what? The 10 years pushed out. Or it could be actually quite the reverse. So yep. they may loosen lending criteria. Mm. You couldn't borrow last year and today you can mm. and you may have changing circumstances. So you might want to bring forward some of those components. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I spoke with one of my clients and um, this was as part of our review. And our original plan was that we would buy one property every 18 months until we reached a certain goal. Obviously, I can't divulge the full details there, but he had a major change thanks to COVID in terms of his income, which was substantially increased, right? So there's winners and losers in any crisis, right? So what we then did as a roundtable meeting between him, myself, his broker and the accountant was that we devised a plan in terms of, okay, we need to now bring forward the next three years into next year, next 12 months, because there's a chance that in the following couple of years, the income might normalize again, which would then impact his borrowing capacity. So we've brought forward, like you said, Steve, we brought forward the end date in terms of the decade a lot closer. Now, that doesn't mean that whilst he has got the ability to buy multiple properties that we go silly and buy whatever properties we come across, it's still very deliberate and it's still very methodical in terms of what we buy, how we buy and where we buy so that we don't paint ourselves into a corner just because money is loose and uh, ability to qualify for loans is really easy at this point in time because you still need to think of when the income slows down, how are we going to service this debt? And potentially interest rates go up. So That's right. in part one of the podcast, we talked about the shortfall. So mm -hmm. we're still which is the difference between all income and expenditure pre-tax. It's that negative amount in most cases to begin with. So in your case, we would still be operating within the parameters yes. of that shortfall. Correct. 
all and we've done is brought forward a few purchases, but still within the same mm-hmm. shortfall. Yeah. It's uh, and, and I just call the gather ye rosebuds why ye may. I'm sure you heard about that. This is I imagine this person you've spoken about is probably in the toilet paper business or something. <laughs> but it's about being open to and aware of mm-hmm. changing circumstances yes. and capitalising them as quickly and thoroughly as possible. Mm. And, and it sounds as though the process you've gone through as an round table is the right way to do it. There's a couple of things I thought about as you were chatting. What we're talking about with design your decade, and I like the idea of you've got your decade that's set. And then you've got your floating decade, yep. which works in relationship with your documented decade. And I want to have a chat about how you go about documenting this stuff. Mm-hmm. But what we're really talking about is long-term and short-term goal setting Correct. And, and the relationship with two. And the concept of a design your decade is really the architecture for you to have informed decision-making as you go down that path. Mm. So It's also for tangible results mm. because a you know, 40-year plan is so far out there that it just becomes – Quite. But you never get there, right? Like, you yeah. know, and myself as an individual, I like to win every day, right? So if, I, if I've got a long-term goal, I know what they are, but every day I'm just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping because it keeps you engaged and connected. And another thing I wrote down here was control, right? It means you will take and retain control over it rather than just letting it push out because you've got a 40-year plan. Which is why we designed the decade, because they are tangible goals and that keep you of- in the game and keep you motivated along the way. Mm. So that, well, I've achieved this, I've achieved this, and we broke it down into the one, three, five, and 10 years. But- we have a parallel plan or another decade that adjusts and adapts. And it's okay to change your plan. It's absolutely, absolutely okay to change your plan. Yeah. And understand that the goals are not set in stone. And the reason why we do it in tangible milestones, so year one, year three, year five, year 10, is that there is some time pressure. Because as human beings, we operate better when there's time pressure. If we give ourselves 40 years, there is no time pressure whatsoever, right? If you think about the general population out there, most people start thinking about retirement when they hit age 60 or very close to that because they think, okay, I better do something about retirement. And then they start looking at their super, they start getting financial advice. Inherently, they start to speculate. Yep, yep, because they've got to play catch up, right? So that's why having time pressure on your goals is really, really important and hence the 10 years as a set period, and the rolling 10 years is adjusting for what life throws you away and what the economy throws you away and what finance throws you away. So this is part philosophy. This is part planning. This is part motivation. So how yeah, so you- when, when I started, I actually went up to the mountain, Mount Everest, and sat down there, and, and it was enlightened. <laughs> yeah. go, go to our website, there's a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so what artifacts do you need to help you design your decade? So it's nice to have it up in your head. Mm-hmm. I, Steve will probably argue otherwise. You're nice to me, so you wouldn't say something like this, but but I seem to know where I'm going. And, and then we laughed and, and laughed. And then, and then, and then. <laughs> <laughs> but some things, many plans I document, mm-hmm. um, and that's mainly to capture the tactics around it to share with other people yep. to get stuff done. When it comes to property, though, I know where I'm going, but I haven't got written down anywhere where I'm headed, right? Because, you know, you guys know about it because you helped me out with it in buying side of things. My accounts helped me out. So I've shared that with them, but there's nothing written. Mm-hmm. Like, does that matter? Doesn't, Just, no. Not really. No. It doesn't have to be written as long as you can retain the information. I mean, even if you put scratch it down on the back of an A4 piece of paper, but as mm. long as we have the absolute oxygen of the, the goal in the portfolios written somewhere, that might be your portfolio tracker or your mm. spreadsheet. Mm. It might be your advisory team meeting quarterly to make sure that you are on track and that you've crossed the T's, dot the I's as you do. Mm. 
and then potentially holding you accountable to the next milestone. And that's a really, that's really important. important part of this because I look back at my journey through property investing and I would score me pretty well, I'd probably six and a half, seven out of ten. Um, and, and that's because it's a good portfolio, but mm. I probably could be better, right? But one of the, the greatest challenges that I've had is setting a plan and I get excited about the planning phase and then beginning in emotion and losing my way because of whatever, right? And imagine most people have the same situation where they get stuck doing something else and lose their way. So doesn't it need to be written or is it more about the process of thinking about it is the positive outcome of this because it actually makes you take action or will make you take control? It's a good point. I think it's that, but also when you are tangibly involved or your team is tangibly involved with your outcome and whether that be on a yearly, quarterly basis like we do with our clients, mm. then it's always at the forefront of your mind. It's not at the back of your mind. And when it's in your subconscious and you're not talking about it or acting on it on a, yeah, let's call it a monthly basis mm -hmm. as an example, mm. well, then it's very easy to just put it to the back because, you know, let's be real here, purchasing a property is not an easy task. There's a lot of work involved between yeah. accounting and broking and finance and you know, criteria and settlements and solicitors. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of different components or moving parts to just a purchase, let alone multiple. So it's very easy to put off. And the reason that we have our ongoing advisory with our clients on a, you know, sometimes a quarterly basis and whether that even be a round table meeting or not is because a, we have our finger on the pulse of different markets and whether that be from a equity point of view, growth, cash flow, but it also gives us a chance to hold you accountable mm. as to where you are, whether that be are you ready for the next steps? Have you negotiated your interest rates? You're $20 a week behind on market rent. You haven't got your insurance calendar events. Yeah, whatever it may be. Mm. Small tweaks. Continual. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important that you actually do all that. Otherwise, you will fall off the wagon. This is about empowerment to get the best outcome for your portfolio, Victor. And maybe you can give me some insights on this for our listeners. I get benefit, and I work really close with Steve on the smart property investment portfolio of him sort of just reminding me the things that I need to be doing because I've empowered Steve to do that. That's so I, right. I've given him permission to do that and that's a, that's him adding value mm. to me. So that works for me, whereas it might piss other people off, right? Mm. So when you go about designing your decade and we're talking sort of five to ten, but it can start from the actually get-go, if you've shared your plan, you've shared your journey or you've used people to help you create what that is and then they're shared in the outcome of it, how do you give them permission to say, hey, if you see me coming off the rails, I want you to bring me back into line or bring me back onto plan because everyone can fall like that. Imagine it happens yep. to you yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if I step back one, one of the key things why we do constant reviews with our clients is that it's a check-in in the sense that we're not allowing life to take over in that sense because when that happens, the portfolio loses relevance because the right here, right now is life and the business pressures and the work pressures that are thrown at us and the family pressures that are thrown at us. Right? So because this is not tangible and right in front of us, it tends to get less attention. So if we're coming in to check in at least once a year, or once a quarter, depending on the phase of the portfolio and the number of properties you have and the whether you're accumulating, consolidating or going sideways for the time being, if you don't have the check-in, then usually what you find is that 
the brain starts feeding off the media hype in the sense that okay this area is not doing well it's going backwards it hasn't and this particular area is got doing really well and it's got massive equity build and you then start looking at portfolio and say okay have i bought the wrong properties and that's something that most people do in year 5 have i bought the wrong one could i have done better perhaps perhaps not because that's what the cards were dealt at that point in time when you started right so it is really important to come in and recheck what we are doing this for in terms of relevance and in terms of the income goal that we are aiming for and then correcting it for you know your change in your income situation whether you've upgraded or downgraded your PPOR or whether you've reinvested for this long and now it's time to at year 5 plus is harvest the equity out of the portfolio to then put a high deposit on the um, principal place of residence Yes, I know when you take the money out that it's not tax deductible because you're using it for personal reasons now. So that all becomes really relevant. And then what also comes in at that point in time is this is where your accountant and your advisors play a very very strong role because it may be a point in time now where you're starting to consider, you know, changing the entities that you're buying in because the portfolios at the stage where you need to do some estate planning some tax planning some finance structure planning to help continue the journey it could also mean at that point in time that i'm going to mention the four letter word sell yeah uh, and uh, a lot of people don't talk about okay you 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 can actually sell down your property to move forward i'll give you an example within my portfolio and now again i must stress This is a strategy that works on an advanced portfolio so it's not something you set out to do in the beginning. So I had a property in Melbourne which I had earmarked for subdivision but the market took off quite significantly and I was able to offload that property and I would sell it but I used the profits out of it to build a granny flat cash and also replace that asset in a different state where I got similar values higher rent and the potential to add one more dwelling there so i've changed one property into three properties now to three uh, streams of income three streams of income yeah that's right and this is where potentially in the late years of the decade when it is rolling uh, the sliding decade this is what may come into play that you may be replacing one asset with multiple assets or even going back to your portfolio and saying okay i've got x number of properties how can i increase the rental income streams to put myself in a better position negate a lot of the negative cash flow to prepare ourselves for the higher interest rates or the lower income yeah it's a good point because the weakest part of your foundation or the weakest cornerstone in a portfolio is always cash flow yes that's yep. the most susceptible part of a portfolio and it can bring your empire to its knees quite quickly even and, if you've got massive equity yeah you could have all the equity in the world as we say but if you haven't got the cash flow to support it well it's a different story and so this is where you start to potentially benefit from years 0 to 5 through 6 through to 10 mm-hmm. is starting to as in your case starting to add in your example starting to add or deploy the capital elsewhere because that was a 0 to 5 year purchase as an mm-hmm. example you've turned it into three streams of income which is now solidified that corner yep stone of the portfolio which is cash flow i'm being general here but it's also allowed you to breathe it's allowed you to go forward it's potentially increased serviceability rather than hampered it and also taking advantage of a 
market that has outperformed the averages. Correct, correct. So it can only be possible when you're constantly reviewing and you are well aware of what you're really aiming for. And what you're aiming for is not, you know, I want to buy another property. It's how do I get to my income goal? And the rest is just fill in at the back. Because every property needs an absolute reason for being there. Within the portfolio, yeah. Yeah, it needs to complement what is already there or what's going Mm. forward. So once again, it needs a reason to be there and you need to know what the desired outcome of that property is and how it will affect the numbers. That's right. So what you're saying is that there's an overarching goal and within that you've got the micro strategies for each property that you buy that fits into the overarching goal. Correct. Just I want to challenge this conversation because what you spoke about just then was pretty sophisticated, right? And, and most investors won't get into probably pulling those levers to later on in their portfolio. So in terms of designing your decade, and I'm quite comfortable with this idea if you have a 10-year plan than a, a parallel rolling 10-year plan, right? People are listening to this going, well, that's a really good strategy. I, I want to find something like that. That sounds exactly like me. One of the biggest mistakes I've seen property investors make is changing their strategy Yes. Based on the next shiny thing that someone else they've heard about or listened to on a podcast. And, you know, I'm sure everyone's gone, oh, well, what a great strategy that is. You know, mm-hmm. I want to get, well, is it a strategy? Is it a tactic? You know, it's a completely different conversation. So I'm sure there's a sailing term for this. Once you set your tact, I'm not a sailor. Here we go. Take a seat. You don't want to start deviating from that to actually get to a particular point in time. It's when you start meandering your way through it and changing direction along the way, it takes you a lot longer to get there and you're probably not going to get there as efficiently. So, how do you make sure when you design your decade, that you stick to the plan, you know, rather than mm-hmm. getting keep the end yeah. goal. Yeah, keep the destination. People do it all the time. I speak to someone one year, and their strategy is, oh, oh the tactic. I'm a buy and hold person, and the next time I speak to them, they go, I'm doing options on mm. on vacant property now. And then I speak to them again, and go, I'm heavy in off the plan stuff, and I'm sort of I sit there, I scratch my head, and go. You're not designing anything. You're just a you're being reactionary. Yeah. You're being yeah. reactionary. It's very easy to do that though, too, because it is shiny and you know, on the surface it may be the million mm-hmm. dollar in a week profit margin scenario for a you. A zillion dollars in a mining town. A trillion. Yeah. But it it is more around having the advice piece or the advisors around you that can keep you within your lane. Mm. That doesn't mean that if an opportunity comes up that does plug in very well within your frameworks, whether that be your risk tolerance, whether it be your sophistication levels and cash flow scenarios and what have you, that you shouldn't entertain it, but you need to look at it from a worst case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And does it work in a worst case scenario and does it actually complement or hinder what Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to achieve here? And the problem that we see time and time again about people changing strategies and chasing- The The shiny dollar. Yeah, the fad- at that particular point in time is usually because they haven't given enough time to what they've already done for it to actually have a cause Mm. and effect. That's a great point, Steve, Mm. because that's where most people go wrong is they're too impatient. They're too impatient to, you know, see a tangible result. They're not letting time do its magic because the growth is never linear. You'll have Mm. spurts of growth. You will have long periods of, if I take your sailing example, you'll have long periods of doldrums, right? So you you have got no wind in the sails and it seems like it's not going to move at all. If I look at the very first property I bought as an investment property, it had not moved for 12 years and everyone was saying, no, you're a fool to buy in there. Now, it was more good luck than management, right? I I did not know what I was doing at that point in time. But within three years, it skyrocketed in value. And that was because everything lined up and it's a true example of the cyclical nature of property investing because someone might have invested and done really well in terms of value increase and then you've jumped in. 
you may have to do your time before it gives you your value increase. The secret there is whilst you're doing your time, you need to have enough cash flow to help you do your time. So you have to do your heavy lifting in the initial stages. Most properties, when you're buying them, the real value comes in after the decade's done. Mm, that's yeah. where you start to potentially get your wins. But I just want to come back to the whole chasing the fad scenario and changing strategy. There's a difference between yeah, a 180-degree change in your strategy versus- Adjusting. Yeah, adjusting or 25 degrees, if you will. It's mm. like that's a small pivot and adjustment. A change in strategy is going potentially the complete other direction. I'm not talking about up or down in terms of the value. It's just- well, now you've just said, well, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to go that direction. And sometimes that's the right thing to do because mm-hmm. you may have deployed the wrong strategy to begin with. It might have been whatever, you know, mm. vacant blocks of land in Karatha. So what I'm hearing here is property investment is absolutely boring and words like or, you know, characters of discipline, routine, patience, architecture, structure, all this sort of stuff is absolutely critical to it. And we spoke about how other people can help you create this framework to invest effectively and hold you accountable to it. But it all comes down to the property investor. They're, it comes down to the individual. They're in control and you can't outsource that control. You can ask for help, but you can't outsource the control. Yeah. And control is, that's the right word because you should be in control because you are controlling potentially a multi-million dollar business, as I mentioned it earlier. And if you want to relinquish control of something like that, well, then more fool you. Mm. So let's use that. You are controlling a multi-million dollar business, potentially. I imagine most people I know in property don't do it because they just love to do it. They want to make a few bucks out of it at a point in time, better retirement, all that sort of stuff, right? Multi-million dollar business. Now, there's 2.1 million small businesses or SMEs in Australia, right? And let's go through these numbers really quickly. In terms of all businesses in Australia, there's 3,000-odd large businesses, as in over 200 employees. There's 50,000 medium-sized businesses, so between 10 and 200, and the rest are small. A half of all small businesses fail in the first two years of setting them up. So we're saying that you're running a multi-million dollar business here as a property investor. In the business world, half fail. Do half of investors fail because they don't plan their decades well enough? I'm going to say yes straight off the bat. I felt like I, side I, of the century yeah, then hearing yeah, about no, yeah, yes. Yeah. I'd say more than half, to be honest. Mm, well, I don't think – I think more than half don't get the desired outcome. Outcome. outcome but I'd say half probably fail those. Mm. So we're talking about uh, how many? There's 2.8 – I think there's 2.8 million investment properties in Australia and 8% of Australians claim some sort of tax benefit as a result of investment property. So that means you've got a lot of other – small business people out there that don't fall into those numbers I just spoke mm. about. More than half are failing. Do you reckon most are failing or most don't receive? There's only six, what is it, only 20,000 Australians own more than six properties. Correct. I think the answer to that would be depending on what their desired income is. So mm. if you just went out and bought, I think you mentioned it earlier, but if you just went out and bought one property in one of the major metropolitan areas throughout Australia, you're going to do okay over 20 years and 30 years and 40 years, which was the old form of superannuation. One property in the burbs. Yeah, and you'll do okay. Yeah, mm. and pay it down in whichever way that looks like for you. But I think as people have a, a grand plan, as you would with a starting a small business to begin with, but with a small business, you're probably going to give it more time. Mm-hmm. and thought you'd probably do it. Well, that's your day job. You're doing yeah. it 50, 60 hours a week. And you've already probably, successful. correct, and you've already you know had a back-of-the-envelope business plan and mm. maybe you've even gone a little deeper and 
you know, created a proper business plan, but what we see is most people don't do that for investing. So designing your decade is just creating a business plan. It's creating it's a short-term business plan. Okay, so we're going to uh, conclude, uh, Victor, but I'll wind out with this question. What's more important, the first five years or the second five years? Just as important. You've got to start out right to begin with, and then you don't want to undo your good work from year five to ten, right? Because this is where most people, they start getting fancy. They start, you know, taking shortcuts in terms of the fundamentals. The fundamentals, obviously, major portion of it is cash flow management. And then continuing to buy the right property for your portfolio, not what the fad is, not where the you know, recent media articles are, what complements within your portfolio, whether it means something as simple as you're not buying for next year, two years, right? Because you can't or you shouldn't. And this is really an important point between can't and shouldn't. So some people that can't, they try and push the envelope and embellish on the figures in terms of how much their portfolio is really costing them. And they go ahead and buy and they paint themselves in the corner. And others that shouldn't be buying, they still go on and buy because they're riding off the back of a temporary interest rate scenario where we are in the low threes. Temporary being the right word. Yep. Mm. And they don't take into account the worst case scenario, as you said, Steve, because that's what you need to do is, is focus on the worst case scenario, plan for that, and aim for the best case. Excellent. So what happens after this first decade? We probably need to cover that in our next podcast, I would imagine, Steve. Yeah, we'll do that in one, 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 yeah. one of the next podcasts. St- stay tuned and we'll be right back after this break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, proudly brought to you by. <laughs> Phil Tarrant. Phil Tarrant. Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice bookend. Nice bookend. I like it. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. Really enjoyed the discussion. It's good. It's, um, you know, I personally use this as an opportunity for me. Every I'm a very practical person, so whenever I catch up with you guys, I always think about our – Conversation reminds me of being at university, always thinking about what this means for business. Anything I was learning, I apply all this thinking in terms of um, all this philosophy towards our own portfolio, which we obviously share a lot as well. But uh, yeah, appreciate the insights. Thanks for your time, Victor. What do people do if they want to know more? about this sort of stuff. Look, if they want us to sit down with them and help them design the decade, uh, send us an email, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au and mention Design Your Decade Part 2 and uh, we will certainly make the time to sit down with you. And just... Virtually. Yeah, virtually. (laughs) And just on that, because we did mention that last podcast Mm -hmm. and within literally 60 minutes of it being released, those spots were taking. So be aware do the same this one when it's That's released. Right. So we're putting a number to it, obviously. First 30. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why Steve says, ooh, is it, it creates a lot of work because we need to do a lot of research beforehand before we actually sit down with it. So there's about two hours of work beforehand before mm. you sit down and then at least an hour, hour and a half's work after we <clears> sit down with you. To, and maybe that's a you. process also we can talk about at some point about how you go through the rigour of understanding other people's portfolios. And mm-hmm. a lot of it's applying a formula to what are the mechanics of a good portfolio. So, um, Well, some people want to create the portfolio themselves and that's fine, but then yeah. some others just engage us to be part of their advisory panel. Eyes and ears, make Correct. sense. Questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Hurry. Places are limited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Run to the back of the room with your credit card facilities right now. <laughs> Leave your left shoe. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's a great opportunity if you're tuning into this and you've always wondered whether or not you've got a good portfolio. Um, I do it myself with these guys, so um, you will definitely learn something from that process. Other than that, rightpropertygroup.com.au, Facebook, Twitter, you're all over that stuff as well. Uh, And and tune into our Facebook Live. It's on every second Thursday. And uh, you just like our Facebook page and you'll get notified when you're on live. Is it on tomorrow? No, it's uh, it's next week. We did one last week. Okay, cool. I'll jump on again and uh, 
Yes, you, you, you lurked in the Sledge background. Again. Lurking, hanging around the background. But uh, thanks for joining us, everyone, for investing inside to the Right Property Group. We'll be back again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.